I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What do you think of being gay this month? Um... More than any other month, I'm very happy to be gay. More than any other month? No. Uh, every month, I'm more and more happy. Oh. oh. I know. <laughs> I'm f***ing <laughs> cute. And welcome to Gay Actually, uh, a monthly series as part of the UK Film Review podcast. Um, I am Amber and I am joined by... Joyce! <laughs> How are you this month? Um, yeah, amazing. I finished my dissertation. I was going to say, congratulations are in order, Joyce. Thank Whee! you so much. Well done. You have a master's degree. You've completed well, your master's degree. I'm sorry, I get my mark back, technically. <sighs> We all know that Joyce is going to absolutely ace this dissertation. No one knows that. Yeah, we all know it. Her average is so freaking high, guys. Hey, well, like, hey, well, <laughs> um, regardless, I'm I'm a happy chappy. Good, <laughs> happy chappy, happy chappy log. Have you been celebrating? Um, yes. Well, I went out the day that I submitted my disc. Incredible. Um, got really drunk. Yeah. Um, and then since then, I've really just been working. So yeah. it's been quite hectic. More it's, celebrations are needed. More celebrations. Maybe are we needed. need to go to karaoke. Oh, we absolutely should. Let's get a group of gays together and just oh. gay it out My in God. a karaoke booth. That Let's do it. Sounds like heaven. We went for graduation last week. I graduated from Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-
Good times, man. Sounds so we amazing. need to do that for you. Oh, Everyone yeah. wants to celebrate for your this, so it's it's got to happen. Yeah. Um, Sounds amazing. Yeah. Good times. Mm, good times. Good gay times. Hey. Um, on the subject of gay and the subject of just time, <laughs> uh, is there something gay that you've done this week? Well, well, Amber, Amber. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes. Um, so Amber already knows where this is going. And I just want to... <laughs> oh, you're going to go there. Throw out a little disclaimer um, that this is not serious, okay? But it very much is. <laughs> so something gay I've done this week is I watched Fleabag. And you might be thinking, huh, what is gay about Fleabag? Well, the reason I watched Fleabag is because I needed so desperately to relate to someone. <laughs> because I, in fact, do have a crush on the local priest. <laughs> which is a woman, which makes it gay. So are you going to start going to confession? Confess um, your sins? I go and confess my sins. Well, I've been walking mm, through the churchyard like a maniac. Um, Are you walking through the churchyard specifically to see said priest? Or just is it on your route? It's not on my route, but I am leaving the house. I'm not just going for Mm -hmm. that reason. I have to be somewhere, but I'm taking a massive detour. So I think aside from that being gay in itself, I think it's Mm -hmm. also gay because she's an older, unavailable woman, which I think is a very... That's a trope. ...lesbian thing. It's a very lesbian trope. They're super gay-friendly. I love that. And I know there are, like, inclusive churches now, which is, like, really, really great. So that's really... It's still just, like, tugs at my heartstrings, just that they're, like, everyone's welcome, we love you, any sexuality, any gender, come in. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah, it's amazing. That's so nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, times. Yes. So (laughs) what's something you've done this week? Um, so... (laughs) uh, Mine is nowhere near as impressive as that. Um, so this weekend I went, um, just gone, I went to Belfast, um, that's not the gay part. Had a great time with some friends, visiting a new city, I've never been to Belfast before, Northern Ireland is great, great crack, as they would say. Um, the crack was 90. Um, (laughs) my friend- What is this expression? (laughs) If my friend from Belfast is listening to this right now, that was for you. Um, (laughs) the crack is 90 basically just means, like, like, good crack is like, oh, it was a good time. Okay, I'm glad you specified what good crack means yeah. for any what, listener. And then they're like, what's the crack? <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, but yeah, so it was really fun. The reason it's gay is because being in Northern Ireland, like, I love the show Derry Girls. Have you seen Derry Girls? I've seen the first season. It's iconic. It's so good and it talks about lots of good things um, going on in Northern Ireland at the time, in the 90s. It's a group of friends at school, one of whom, spoiler alert, if you've not finished Derry Girls, skip forward a minute, um, one of them comes out as, oh, she just, Joyce just covered her ears. <laughs> Claire, one of the characters, comes out as a lesbian, um, and like all of her friends are great, it's like such a good time, um, but then like sometimes she's just referred to as the wee lesbian. <laughs> Like, the little lesbian. The Irish like to use the word we a little, like, yeah. Um, and that became my nickname for... This is not a fun story, but... That this is so fun. It basically just became my nickname for the trip, the wee lesbian, because I wanted that to be the case, because 
I have an affinity with Claire from Dairy Girls. Like, she is just an anxious lesbian, and that is my vibe. So, um, yeah, now they all call me the wee lesbian. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's the best nickname ever. May it continue. Darn. Can you do an Irish accent? No. I cannot do any accents. (laughs) I can do a little bit of Australian. All right. That's great. All right. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) The only way I can do an Irish accent is by saying orange pattern snakes. Orange pattern snakes. That is so good. Wow. That's how I, that's the only way I can do it. Just orange pattern snakes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, well, I'm glad we caught up. On this month's episode of Gay Actually, we are going to be talking about early UK queer cinema. So films that were set um, and released back in the day, as it were, um, kind of the early slash beginning stages of queer representation for UK audiences on screen. We're going to talk about what these films meant then versus what they mean now, whether or not stereotypes still remain from these films, um, and if these films taught audiences anything and can still teach us something. Um, So I want to kick this off with talking about our first experiences, mine and Joyce's in general, um, to like a quote-unquote historical slash classic LGBT plus film. Um, Joyce, do you have one? Well, as far as I can remember, I think the oldest queer film I saw first... (laughs) If that makes sense, is Girls in Uniform, Mm -hmm. the original German version, 1931. Amazing. Yes. I remember explicitly, actually, I remember looking it up, um, like old lesbian films. Um, It's very disturbing. I don't know if you've seen it. I've not seen it, but tell me what it's about. So it's basically about this girl that develops a massive crush on one of her teachers at boarding school. But she's very young. Like, the girls are very young. Oh. Um, is this, like, some Loving Annabelle type? Crap? I think Loving Annabelle... Well, no. Because the teacher isn't into her oh, necessarily. Okay. It's it's very, a very weird dynamic. Um, so in the remake that um, was released in the 50s, has Romy Schneider in it. Mm, okay. Um, and I remember that one better, because I've seen that one, like, twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one... Yeah, so Romy Schneider's character just becomes obsessed with this teacher... Um, who's kind of like a mother figure in the like she's the dorms like main teacher and stuff like that so yeah. it's, it's kind of like loving Annabelle <laughs> oh my god that's crazy because like because I remember like that film kind of being thrown around when we were talking about certain film theory like in class and that kind of thing but like it is crazy when you describe that plot how many films have kind of taken those yeah. kind of tropes in the more contemporary Yes. May. And, I mean, we're going to talk about a film today that also kind of talks about this dynamic. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yes. What did Um, you... So were you, like, a teenager when you first watched it? Yeah, I think I was, like... It wasn't the first gay film I watched. I think I was maybe, like, 17 or something. Sure. And what did you... What was your, like, reaction? Well, I thought, on one side, it was amazing (coughs) to see that on... Like, know that that was on screen in the 30s. 
that is pretty wild. Yeah. And there are films like that as well, which is what like which is what we always say is that like queer people have always been on screen, you just have to know where to find them. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah, there's that aspect of it. And look especially now because it's so far removed in time, yeah. it's 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 important to think about. Mm-hmm. Um but the content of it is obviously not it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's obviously not a consensual relationship in the sense that the age gap is... And the power dynamic is completely off. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it matters. Because it was the of first course. lesbian kiss on yeah. screen. And that's nearly 100 years old. Like, when you think of a film from the 30s, you don't think of a same-sex kiss, let alone between two women. Because mm-hmm. femin- femininity is something that's always like quite reviled in old... Yeah. cinema and stuff but then it makes me think of the film Morocco as well with which again came out in the 30s with Marlena Dietrich basically dressing up as a man performing as a man and then she kisses a woman and yeah. everyone's like cheering and like and it's so like crazy to me but like she's there for both men to look at her and women to look at her yes it's, it's very interesting how they skirted around the issue of a woman kissing a woman by making her like dress and perform it really like it's yeah. a performance but, but because it's performative it's okay whereas if it was a man like behaving as a woman it wouldn't be received as well right I don't think but because she's performing as a man everyone's like oh how lovely like that she's great yeah she's hot yeah but yeah how interesting mm-hmm. I think my my first experience of like an old classic queer film um it it's a bit it came out in 1961 which is actually the same year as one of the films that we're going to discuss in this episode but it was the children's hour so Shirley MacLaine Audrey Hepburn basically again the same thing so they're both teachers at the same school interesting how like school is the environment that we're using like, that seems to be a thing again lost and delirious that the one of the first episodes we did where we talked about bad lesbian representation um lost and delirious bloomington loving annabelle just cracks have you seen that i actually haven't oh don't watch it it's so disturbing okay <laughs> even shows like Pretty Little Liars that deal with like these gay issues at school like it just seems to be like such a tropey place to deal with like I know what is up with that coming out but yeah so the children's hour it's basically a child's accusation it's not said in the film but we all know it's based on a play basically the two the two teachers that work at the same school are basically accused of having a romantic slash sexual relationship and it basically destroys their reputation and yeah one of them has a boyfriend so it's kind of like oh this is terrible but you know it's fine but then the other one Martha played by Shirley MacLaine is just so overcome and like I remember watching that as a teen I was probably like 18 19 and it was so disturbing for me, like to watch, to watch this this woman on screen say, oh, "I'm so dirty, I'm so guilty, I feel disgusting, I can't stand to have you look at me." Like it's quite dark, like and like the film is it's, it's not a light watch. It's very depressing. It's very sad. Um, again, it's those kind of tropes that we've talked about before, where 
the only option is spoiler alert one one woman to kill herself and the other woman to end up with a man like that's the only way that film can kind of reconcile these identities and it is very much like film teaches queer people what to think about themselves the there is a podcast called the queer girl film club um that is run by some lovely uh, ladies up north and they do a really really good in-depth analysis of the children's hour if anyone's interested um in listening i think it's it's important to shout out because they go into quite a lot of the social issues especially like the impact of the haze code which we're going to talk about mm-hmm. so with all of this in mind maybe we should talk a bit about the background in terms of uk politics and stuff take it away amber (laughs) i feel like i'm just like (laughs) blah 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 um so obviously america had the Hayes code which banned certain social and political topics on screen um sex perversion being one of them which basically means gay people couldn't be on screen the UK kind of used that with a lot of their big films, but then also there was the Obscene Publications Act. So our laws um, against homosexuality in the UK um, at that time kind of stemmed from the Victorian era, so homosexuality was obviously illegal at the time. Queen Victoria brought that in. And it was only against men being with men Lesbians were never... We're good girls. It's because the reason being is that Queen Victoria apparently didn't think that lesbianism existed. She didn't... So it wasn't even valid enough to be written into law. So being a lesbian was never illegal in the UK. Isn't that wild? Because she was like, oh, women can live together. And it's like, it's for companionship. Do you think Queen Victoria might have had something for the female figure? See, I don't know. She had nine children and was like pretty devoted to Prince Albert. So I wouldn't say so. However, maybe she had some like lesbian friends that were like girl do us a favor and she was like okay no problem boo (laughs) smells like the favorite (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like a hundred years prior (laughs) but i love it there seems to be a legacy of lesbians just kind of being overlooked classic (laughs) so the laws against homosexuality were very much against men if you were found to be guilty of being gay a gay man that involves being in a romantic relationship with a man or having sex with a man um you could face uh prosecution which would involve either medical treatment so injections or like uh medication in order to quote unquote cure you of your homosexuality or you could face um two years in prison around that mark around other men that have also been sent there for homosexuality (laughs) Well, one of them says it in in one of the films we're going to discuss. Oh, really? There's a character oh. that talks about it. Yeah. Amazing. He he went to prison actually, and he's yeah. like, I had more sex there than <laughs> ever in my life. Um. So the Obscene Publications Act that the UK uh, came up with, um, it was basically creating a new offence for publishing obscene material. So, uh, and the police had the legal duty to seize this material so that came in in 50s i think it was 1959 and it basically you know you had to be really careful what you said 
um, on screen or in writing and, and that kind of thing. Homosexuality, when... So we're going to talk about our first film, Victim. This came out in 1961 when to be gay and to publish quote-unquote obscene material was still very much illegal. So that adds an interesting dynamic to what we're going to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um Let's go for it. Joyce, I feel like I've been talking for like 500 hours. Do you want to give us a little summary of Victim? You always ask this of me and I'm so bad at it. You're not! You're iconic. I will do it. I'm fine. So Victim is about... I'm so sorry. (laughs) Thank you. I try not to put you on the spot. Okay, for next episode, I'm going to actually write down a little synopsis in my own words so I can read it from the page. (laughs) Okay, so Victim is about um, multiple characters. (laughs) Victim starts off with Jack Barrett. He is running from the law. We don't really know why at the start. And then we find out that he has been stealing money from work because he's being blackmailed for being a homosexual man. There is photographic proof. We... um, also find out who the other person is and that person basically decides to pursue the blackmailers, find out who they are and put an end to it. What I think is interesting about this film is that it was written by both a man and a woman. It was written by uh, Janet Green and John McCormick, which I love that. I just love it when um, films have more than one writer just because I think you can get so much more like opinion flavor (laughs) another fun fact about this film is that it was the first english language film to use the word homosexual on screen that's really impressive isn't that mad like considering we've got like quite a few decades of film before i mean half of that guaranteed was silent film but still like (laughs) we've got like we've got a lot of films that have come out before this film and this is the first one yeah crazy yeah um and also it was controversial when it came out because homosexuality in the UK was still a controversial topic at the time given that it was illegal um but this film does really well to like openly criticize the like um sexual offenses act and like the anti-gay laws um the BBFC talks about that on the on a podcast episode that they've got it talks about how like the report and this act was uh, also called the Blackmailers Charter, which is really interesting because that's basically what this entire film is about. It's about a fear of prosecution um, and so succumbing to blackmail, trying to escape blackmail, but it catches up with you anyway. And then um, our main character, played by Dirk Bogard, um, Mel Farr, tries to obviously expose the blackmailers but also risks being blackmailed himself because he is a gay man it's just a really cool insight into like what life as a gay man may have been like in the 60s especially because he's a lawyer as well yeah he's maintaining the law but also breaking the law and his attraction yeah he he talks about that um i think was it one of the police officers that oh no it was one of the actors Mm -hmm. there's like three gay actors and they ask him how how what's his stance on it because they find out he's gay and he's like well i'm a man of the law which is you know very confusing what do you make of that it's very diplomatic isn't it just to be like i have to uphold the law even though it's prosecuting who you are yeah 
yeah that's crazy like I can't even imagine being in that position no no of course not um I wrote down my initial thought of the film is I mean I loved it I love victim I think it's a really good film Uh, what I loved is that it actually shows the victim as a victim and not as the perpetrator because the victim here is a gay man yeah and they actually treat him as a victim so even when he's arrested for his stealing the money they ca- the, the detective the head detective is convinced mm. that he's being blackmailed even though he doesn't want to admit it um, and he has a lot of sympathy for him like they have to yeah. lock him up um, obviously I feel like it's easy for films that, especially old films yeah. that talk about homosexuality to blame the victim in situations like this yeah that's so important because I think you're right in terms of films that have definitely come after Victim Rebel Without a Cause even which came out before it it very much portrays a queered character as causing their own victimisation but also like being one of the bad guys themselves and it's really cool that a film just kind of goes they're gay they're being persecuted we're going to talk about that it's wrong yeah and it was the early 60s. This was being filmed in, like... I know. Like, the late 50s, early 60s. Like, man, yeah. how crazy. I think there are so many poignant moments in this film. I mean, first of all, we talk about Jack and Mel. Mel is an affluent, privileged lawyer. And Jack is, you know, he's struggling to make ends meet. He's a working-class man. And the film does so well to also draw attention to that you know if you can't afford to pay off your blackmailer what are you gonna do and you know he ends up taking taking his life into his own hands which is because he's so scared as being outed as gay but not only that he's scared about mel far his ex-lover and friend as being outed too that's shocking but it like it shouldn't be shocking given the trajectory that gay rights has been on in the UK especially at that time like yeah it's you know if you were found to be gay you would go to prison or you would have some type of like medical conversion therapy like that's terrifying and you know they've only just pardoned a lot of those gay men that went to prison in the 50s and 60s that's insane it's insane to think that this is like not even a whole lifetime ago for me the main thing is that homosexuality is not looked at as a bad thing by most characters yeah there's a few characters that are a bit mm -mm about it especially the blackmailers um but you know you've got this detective who's really great Mm. and he talks to his sergeant and um there's this scene that was so funny to me where he asks the, the sergeant what he thinks about homosexuals and he completely disagrees with it he thinks it's wrong and against nature and all that and then um, the detective asks him if he's a Puritan. And he says, yes. He says, well, that used to be illegal at some point. Mm, Which yeah. I thought was so good. It's interesting, it's, isn't Yeah, it? it's just a law. And laws come and go. And yeah. they're always like made in a very specific context of whatever. But they yeah. do change. And laws don't dicta- dictate what's wrong or right. Yeah. I feel like a lot of laws protecting LGBTQ plus people are fairly recent. You know, we couldn't get married. Yeah. The age of consent wasn't lowered to 16 until 2001. 
that's only 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But then you look at these films. This film came out in 1961 and we're, to- we're debating on screen. These famous actors on screen are debating whether or not being gay should be illegal. That is monumental. Like, how did we not see this more growing up? Like, how were we not as aware of this film? It's amazing. Yeah. And I think, like, what makes it so much... What all of these films have in common, I think, is that it just feels so real. Like, you have a real sense of time and place. We're in West London. We're, like, in the thick of it. Even though it's, like, neo-noir vibes in the film. London is very... Like, it's it's contemporary London. Like, you've got the rush of the traffic. You've got Hammersmith Bridge. You've got all these landmarks. And you're seeing them on the streets walking about. Like, it's it's a real place and it's a real time and it's real issues and that's like that's what I love about UK cinema is that it's just like often so like kitchen sink drama which UK audiences have always loved like Coronation Street hello like we've always loved it so and to queer that is just so cool yeah I love it absolutely I was honestly, like, uh, I will say, um, I watched the second film we'll discuss first, which was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and then I watched this, and I was so surprised that this is the oldest one on the list that we're discussing today. Yeah, because it's the best one. It's the best one, and it's so open to it. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't... It's black and white, for God's sake. Like, yes. we're talking about these things, and we're not even in Technicolor yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and also, fun fact, um, the actor, the main, main actor, Dirk Bogard, mm-hmm. um, King. King, is actually kind of, you know, people have always kind of assumed that he is a homosexual himself. Yeah. It was, like, very known in entertainment circles. Um, so it's crazy to think about this man, this actor, accepting a role, a, like, right in the thick of it, like you said. It must have been really scary for him to do, because... yeah. It was still legal. Exactly. And he's exactly. playing this role, like, knowing that people are probably going to scrutinise his personal life. He was with the same partner for nearly four decades, Anthony Forward. Um, and they were together until Anthony Forward passed away in the late 80s. Like, they were together for a long time. And it was always kind of assumed that it wasn't platonic, but yeah. no one ever talked about it. They lived together for 40 years. Helena Bonham Carter said she believed that he did not come out during later life because this would have unbearably highlighted his regret at having been forced to camouflage his sexual orientation during his film career. Right. I mean, can you imagine? But then I think a lot of actors of that generation probably just thought, well, it's my private life. It's not my public life. It's my business. Oh, absolutely. And that's valid. Absolutely. I feel like Miriam Margulies did that for a bit and then she just, you know can't keep anything to herself so (laughs) she was like I'm a big lesbian I got Nick honestly (laughs) yes um I mean it still happens today that's what's mad like people like a lot of famous people are still in the closet well even Rebel Wilson didn't come out till recently yeah we talked about this on a podcast we did we did talk about throwback um but I think I mean in terms of this film I think there are some iconic quotes in terms to terms of gay men like in relation to black males so i think it was the one of the police officers or the detective said um it used to be witches at least they won't burn you i said that really i weird. wrote that one down as well at least they won't burn you mm-hmm. 
like comparing being gay to a, a witch hunt of sorts because they're being hunted by blackmailers and police. Yeah. I think that's really interested. Interesting. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. Also, there's a character who was a barber and he's trying to escape his ba- the blackmailers. And he said, oh, I'll be lonely but sensible. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he's choosing to be on his own and not be happy in a relationship, but at least he'll be safe. Yeah. How sad is that? Oh, horrible. But, I mean, what do you think about the blackmailers themselves when they're revealed at the end? You know what? The whole film... This is spoilers. (laughs) Yeah. The whole film, I thought they were going to be gay themselves. (gasps) Really taking advantage and exploiting the situation. Yeah, like some level of internalised homophobia. Because I feel like I want to talk about this film at some point in a future episode, but the movie Cruising... I haven't seen that. It's basically like a gay man going around killing gay men. Oh. Yeah, I really want... It looks like such a good film. I really want to talk about it at some point. But it's that kind of thing about how the victim is the perpetrator, like what we were talking about. Like, that would have made sense. But I like that it's not the case. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I mean, the blackmailers are a man and a woman. They're very homophobic. Yeah. Like, just playing out the actual villain to... The homosexual. And I think she says as well, oh, if they make it legal, they may as well legalise every other perversion. Yeah. Which is like, okay, girl. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, they're, they're yeah. Like, there's the, the standard, uh, like, homo- homophobe. Yeah. Um, I think the woman's, like, you know, kind of upholding, you know, traditional values and yeah. it's perversion. Exactly. Um, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so they're kind of taking the law into their own hands because they complain that the police isn't doing anything about it anymore. So, which they were. Yeah, gay yeah, men obviously. were still going to prison. They were but... just kind of like believing that it wasn't enough because they're still walking around everywhere. But it just shows how much the law was being debated at this and in the sixties, mm-hmm. like whether or not it should even be illegal, or whether or not like if you're so long as you're not like having sex in public. You can do yeah. what you want. I just wonder how they went about proving a lot of these accusations. Like, how do you yeah. actually know that two men living together are romantically involved? Right? This is the thing with lesbianism as well, is that because this is why it wasn't made illegal, is because the lines were so blurred, because two women could live together, like, and it wouldn't be so. And sucks. a lot of them did. Yeah, platonically. Oh my, 100% and not platonically. Obviously. And they were like, oh, they're just like really good friends. Gabal! <laughs> Do you sometimes play it safe when you talk about your girlfriend by saying partner? I use partner, yeah. Okay. I use the word partner quite a lot. Is that like on purpose or is it like safety? Is that your word of choice? Um, I think it does stem from a safety element. Mm-hmm. I think when I'm around people our age, I use the word girlfriend because no one our age is going to give a flying <laughs> But... <laughs> <laughs> and we're cussing on the pod <laughs> yeah I do with older people I do sometimes use partner and I think it is because like A I can't be bothered sometimes to get into that conversation of oh you've got a girlfriend wow um, and also just a safety thing like I've never felt unsafe talking to anyone about being gay like mm-hmm. do you, did you use the word partner or um, at any point or? no I remember a few times like one time at the airport to get into America I did say partner because I yeah. was very uncomfortable. He was like a yeah. very um, white, Republican-looking man. Fair. I was like, okay, I want him to yeah. let me in the country. <laughs> Interesting yeah. food for thought. 
the words yeah. we use. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I think, like, one scene that I do want to talk about is the really powerful scene between Far and his wife, Laura. Yeah. Where she's basically interrogating him, being like, you know, you're representing xyz and you're talking about these these gay men being blackmailed it's because you're gay isn't it it's because you were with jack like that's what's going on and the tension builds and builds and builds in the scene it's very intense and he just goes all right you want to know the truth i stopped seeing him because i wanted him do you hear me i wanted him and it's like so intense it's but so also, bold it's exactly he's talking about wanting a man so much that he stopped seeing him to protect themselves yeah and it's so powerful and you're like damn am i watching this right now in black and white in black and white blew my mind as well yeah like yeah crazy absolutely and you know his wife is not disgusted she's obviously hurt she's not disgusted by the fact that he's gay oh exactly and she's there to support him afterwards Mm. it's actually really crazy yeah yeah mad absolutely i mean they talk about an ex that he had that also um killed himself so um jack commits suicides in his cell yeah um this is pretty early on in the film Mm -hmm. and then we find out that um keep forgetting their names then we find out that mel's ex also did the same thing um because they were scared of being discovered yeah and then he gets married to a woman so like kind of and she knows about it she knows about it from the start and they still Mm -hmm. get married she thinks that that's the solution to find like peace in marriage yeah (sighs) anyway final thoughts you like this film i love this film i think it's amazing that this came out in 1961 yeah yeah it's so poignant isn't it it really is just like damn diddly damn and it's hopeful in so many ways it doesn't make you feel this like i can imagine watching that being gay and at that time you wouldn't be disgusted by yourself yeah wow be like wow this is why film is important yes yes anyway (laughs) let's (laughs) we've been talking for so long oh my god but i know that you're gonna do a beautiful editing job (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much you're welcome so the next film we're going to talk about is it came out in 1968 so a bit later and also a year after homosexuality was decriminalised but this is a film about lesbians and that is The Killing of Sister George oh boy (laughs) (laughs) oh George Um, so The Killing of Sister George is based on a 1964 play by British playwright Frank Marcus and was directed by Robert Aldrich. Um, The play was actually originally a black comedy, but the film added explicit lesbian content and was marketed as a drama, as something shocking. Which is interesting, right? Because if you think if it's a black comedy, then maybe that would have made it a bit more digestible. Can I speak? (laughs) I've been having trouble with enunciating, (laughs) so it's okay. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. Um, It would have been so much better as a black comedy. Yeah, right? I I don't know why they didn't do that. Yeah, right? I know. 
But they wanted to present it as a serious treatment of lesbianism. Oh, you're actually kidding me. We're talking about lesbians, guys. Let's get serious for a second. <laughs> because it's so shocking that a woman can love a woman. Oh, love? What is that? I think one of the first things I wrote down mm-hmm. is this is this is showing that lesbians or homosexuality is all about lust and not love. I agree. And also representing the public mood at the time, which film tends to do. And what does... So we have victim. Oh, we're debating a law. Maybe we should be more sympathetic to gay men versus the killing of Sister George. What does the, what does the country think about lesbians? That they're scary and sad. Oh, yes. Tara, okay. Um, how are we going to start tackling this film? Because... I'm going to... I'll give a little synopsis. Okay. So... The woman that played Sister George, who is called June, uh, was played by Beryl Reed, who played her in the play. And what is interesting is that I wrote this down. Beryl Reed, when this film came out and when she was in the play, people in shops refused to serve her and other performers due to the gay characters in the play. Which is interesting because do you think that was in part due to how unsympathetically lesbians are portrayed in the play. Probably. Because they are so demonised and so, like, Sister George, yeah, she's so vilified that maybe, like, people were like, that's what lesbians are like. Don't like that. (laughs) Yes. um... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. They are literally portrayed as nothing else but perverts, like sexual deviants Yeah, in this film. Shocking. And also, we are going to talk about a lot of the tropes that we've talked about in previous episodes, but maybe this film kind of pioneered some of these. But anyway, Sister George is a middle-aged actress. That's her nickname. Um, she's, a, she's described as a lovable motor scooter riding district nurse and local sage in a fictional, long-running BBC soap, Applehurst. First of all, BBC television soap opera. Love it. Everyone loves her character. She's been with the show for four years. She's nicknamed George because of her character, Sister George. Um, and despite her popularity on the show in real life june herself is very outspoken she smokes cigars she's frequently drunk um 
And so basically the network producers at the BBC decide, you know what, I think we're going to kill her off. We're going to kill Sister George. Um, And George suspects this because a couple of other characters have been killed off and she starts getting very anxious and aggy about it. And this in turn um, affects her relationship with uh, a younger woman called Alice, played by... Uh, Susanna York and chaos ensues whilst the anxiety rises um, her reputation falls wow (laughs) sounds like it has potential (laughs) what do you think about this film Joyce talk to me god I was so disturbed at some points I had to make myself laugh just to deal with it emotionally I agree because I I just can't it's can't disturbing, do it. isn't it? Um, it's, there's a lot of bad lesbian representations, mm. and a lot of them are guilty pleasures for me. This, however, is just a whole different ballpark. This is a displeasure. This is absolutely a displeasure. Let's talk about some of these tropes. So, the first one being lesbians with an age gap. Very present here, right? 20-year age gap. 20-year age gap. Um, Sister George is... Uh, a middle-aged lesbian which again is interesting because the second she gets to a certain age the BBC decide we're gonna get rid of her which yeah. is a thing in the film industry previously is Absolutely. it not um, especially with the added layer of her queerness they think nope she's getting too outspoken and too gay we're gonna get rid of her bye bye Yeah. Um, but she lives with Alice who she's younger and also she nicknames her Childy. Childy. And Alice is a doll loving young girl. Like she loves She's like thirty, right? She's thirty, yeah, she is. Yeah. 30. So she's not a child, I mean Oh no, but yeah. she acts like a child. <laughs> yeah, she's very childish in the way that she behaves. Like most of her scenes are in their home. Yeah. And she plays with dolls, she talks to her dolls. Yeah. She pouts. She makes little faces. Yeah. And it's it's very much like the mother-daughter fetish that we all know and hate. Sister George is very kind of abusive towards Alice, actually, because she speaks to her like crap. She is really not very nice to her in any way. She's very domineering. She's very jealous. Anywhere she goes, Sister George like, who have you been hanging out with? Who have you been seeing? Why are you out late? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it's like, okay, mum... Oh, You're supposed yeah. to be my girlfriend. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Um, at first, when it started, I didn't even realise that they were a couple. Ah. I And, like, then, it, and, and, and then it shocks you. Yeah. The way that, that George was talking to mm-hmm. Alice. Oh, God. It was horrible. And then there's this thing. <laughs> I sent you a voice message about this. I did. George makes... Punishes Alice... And makes her eat a cigar. Oh, God. And Why apparently, does she punish her again? Because Alice went out with um, one of her work colleagues or something. And George is so convinced that this this man wants to sleep with Alice. Um, it was so disturbing. And then Alice... So this is where we find out about their dynamic. Mm. Alice eats the cigar. And because it's so awful, 
she is mad at George and she pretends to enjoy it. And then George tells her that now it's ruined. Yeah, the like. That this is ruined forever and they can never do this again now. And then Alice gets really upset and George storms out. And then this is when I found out they were a couple. <laughs> George comes back and goes to apologize to Alice and kisses her on the mouth. <gasps> Kill her. Yeah. Shocking. But so this dynamic in the relationship is set up from the very beginning. Yeah, and that's that whole scene as well. It's so slow and prolonged and drawn out, and you're so uncomfortable watching it. And it just makes me think, like, not only is it uncomfortable, but it just shows, like, lesbians as threatening and menacing to society. Like, that's what the viewer is looking at. They're like, oh my god, lesbians are horrific. Yeah, absolutely. So we've taken a step back. Very unladylike. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> also, the there's like a predatory fear of George from other women. That scene where she gets into the taxi and basically assaults these nuns. <laughs> That's a whole other layer of the film that I'm terrified to get into. But yeah. again, it's like her actions are vilified and she is a vile woman. Yeah. And she suffers the consequences. She gets killed off from her soap. Which I think that that whole scene at first, I was like, oh my God, lol. Like, that's ridiculous. But then when you actually look deeper, you're like, actually, like, that's really bad. Yeah. Absolutely. The second she gets in, she's excited about the nuns being there. It's so messed up. It's so bad. And I think the whole film is kind of intertwined with these scenes versus her scenes on Applehurst and her character, Sister George. And the scenes that are portrayed kind of discuss moral and social issues on screen. And then that's quite on the nose because then George is consequently portrayed as what society would deem to be immoral. She's a swearing, drunk, handsy lesbian and society wants nothing to do with her. Yeah. And the way that other characters look at her as well, they're like, oh, they're like repulsed by her. Yeah. Yeah. This this goes back to the dynamic in their relationship, mm-hmm. but she calls the room where Alice sleeps little girl's room. Oh, even God. in front of other people. So there's this scene where the one of the BBC executives um, comes by the apartment to talk to George about her character. Oh, we'll talk about her in a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goodness. Ah! <laughs> Um, and George is acting towards Alice in their little dynamic DDLG way. Mm. And in front of that woman. And I was so uncomfortable. It's so awful, isn't it? She speaks to her so poorly. Yeah. And it's like, if your partner speaks like that to you, run. Run. She throws like a piece of, what is it, food at Alice's face. Yeah. While she's talking to the other woman. And it's basically like, go and get tea, and like banishes her from the room. And yeah. it's like, how rude. Yeah. No, that's supposed to be your girlfriend? You're supposed to tell me that these, that two women can be in love and then portray it like that, which there's no love yeah. whatsoever. No, it's horrible. It's so horrible. It's so disappointing because you think the film, film's like victim and you're like, here we go, here we go, we're getting there, we're talking about it and then we see lesbians portrayed like that and we're like, great, okay. So yeah. we're not there yet. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and it's kind of, 
presented as though George is so terrified of her character being killed off so she acts out but it's completely unacceptable yeah and she's always like she always speaks to Alice like that and it's just like not not okay at all I also want to talk about gateways you know the um queer club that they go in yes. like it's like ladies night or something that they go into what did you think about that whole that thing? was actually a fun scene yeah a little insight into lesbian life in the 60s yeah in a in a queer space apparently it's a real um it was a real bar in london that's super cool so we love that yeah um it is it is a hilarious scene like lesbians kind of being a bit territorial kind yeah. of being like well I'm gonna dance with you like and there's this like other middle-aged lesbian and her and sister George have kind of got this like little rivalry going on like trying throwing their weight around being like these like powerful lesbian queens and I like love that dynamic like I think that's yes. fun um so it is like it is awkward but also iconic and then the BBC executive turns up and she's like where am I where am I but also not opposed to it yeah well this is the this is the thing is that we think why would she stay but then we get to later on in the film and we're like Uh, ah you're a predatory middle aged lesbian too love this Mm. yay let's talk about that so (sighs) like yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Go. Yeah, talk about it. So, what's, do you know what her name is? I wrote down the dolls help. <laughs> the dolls help. Oh my god. Um, ah, Mercy Croft. Croft. Played by Coral Brown. So, Miss Croft. Um, Miss Croft. When she meets Alice, Childy. Oh god. She's gonna give me a hernia. No, I feel like there's this immediate little competition between her and George. Yeah. About Alice's presence, mm-hmm. um, she listens to Alice speak about her poetry, and she's interested in it, which is something that George never shows towards Alice. And then yeah. George finds out that they met outside of the house and George without forbid. George knowing. Um, so Miss Croft just went to listen to or like talk with Alice about her poetry. And also, like, help her move out, I think, because Alice decides that yes. George has, like, been horrible and laughed at her opportunities that she's got from, from this woman at the BBC, like, one too many times. So Alice is like, do you know what? I've had enough. I'm going. Yeah. With um, the help of Miss Croft. Yeah. And then... And then... And this this is actually incredible, if you think about it, for that this was on screen. But... Yeah. Obviously, the context makes it disgusting. Yeah. But there is an actual sex scene between two women yeah. towards the end of the film. And it's not George. It's Ms. No, Croft. it's Mercy and Alice. And you're like, that came out of nowhere. But also, it's been building the whole time and we didn't realise. And also, this is incredible. Like, And you're like, great. But then you think, is this consensual? Did it's you think it was consensual? very uncomfortable. Yeah, because I, I wasn't... I feel like... It felt so perverted. The way that, like, Miss Croft was looking at Alice and playing with the dolls. It's kind of predatory, isn't it? It's so predatory. Because it it felt like a violation to me, is that, like, I wasn't 100% sure if Alice was consenting, and that made me feel very uneasy. Yeah. It It was kind of scary. Like, she scared me. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way she was looking at Alice, like, her her eyes and, like, her mouth, like, she was like... 
she was like, I want you. And it was like, oh, God. And, like, this is after she brings a doll to Alice's room and talks to it and puts it down next to Alice. It's so uncomfortable. Jeez Louise. And then George walks in on them. Just walks in on them. Yeah. Crazy. And then, yeah, she leaves. Yeah. And then George is begging for Alice to stay. But then Alice leaves with Mercy and then puts her key through the letterbox, which is a sign that she's not coming back. Yeah. And that's it. Crazy. So she's going from one abusive woman to the other. Yeah. I honestly... (laughs) Sorry, I just... So this came out in 68, because I have 69 written now. I don't know why. So I thought it was 68, but in some places it is written 69, so I'm not 100% certain, but it's late 60s, basically. Okay. Yeah. There's, like visible lesbian sex on screen and that's insane isn't that mental yeah there's literal this is very but then we can't even be like woohoo because the sex scene is so hideous context is awful yeah but maybe you know maybe that's one of the justifications for actually it being able to be there is because it's not because she it's not portrayed in a in a pleasant way it's very so you're like perverted Alice has been perverted and corrupted by these older lesbians. Yeah. No. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. On a lighter note, I do have an iconic line written down. Oh my god, is it the same that I have written down? Um, Alice says, not, not all, all girls, girls are flaming lesbians, you know. And Sister George turns around and goes, that, that is, is a misfortune that I'm perfectly well aware of. of. So good. I was like, why is that? I immediately thought of you when I heard that. I was like, why is that such a vibe? That is like something that we would say to each other, like as a joke. Yes, so good. That was so good. I know. Shocking. The best part of the whole film. <laughs> um. Oh. So the film ends. Obviously, Sister George is killed off in the show. She loses her girlfriend. She loses her reputation. She's not going to get another job at the BBC. She's embarrassed herself. Yeah. She's a drunk lesbian clown. Yeah. Um, so she basically turns up on set, trashes the place, and moves like a cow. Because basically she was offered a posi- like a voiceover position playing a cow on a, sh- on a kid's show and she was like humiliated she was like the audacity of you to recommend that to me and so yeah. she's trashing the, sh- the set just mooing like a cow that's how the film ends it's so bleak it's so sad yeah what do you think of that it's just shocking right oh my god <laughs> it, 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 this whole film it just makes my skin like itch it's so unsympathetic isn't it it's horrible yeah no I hated it and I didn't know who to root for you know I didn't, because mm. when Miss Croft was kind of stealing Alice away, I was like, do I feel bad for George? I don't know, because George is really abusive. But then yeah. Miss Croft is also predatory. Yeah. So where do we stand? And why is Alice acting like a little girl with all these dolls? I'm uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable about every character in this film. It's such an uneasy watch. And you're like, hmm. God, if I was this age in the 60s, that would have been so sad. I'm like, imagine watching it with your parents and then coming out. (laughs) Mum, Dad, I'm Sister George. (laughs) So which one are you in a relationship? The little girl? (laughs) Are you George or are you Alice? (laughs) Beryl Reed is an incredible actress, though. The accents on her as well. She does so many different accents, so many different personas. Like, she's really good at playing a crazy I mean, it was very theatrical, I'll say. Yeah. 
I mean, it was we know it's a play. It was a play before. It yeah. very much felt like a play, very overact, overacted. And this is why they should have kept it a black comedy. It would have worked so much better. I agree. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because this is just so absurd and painful to watch. Yeah. Honestly. <sighs> anyway, let's move on to our final film that we're going to talk about, um, which is Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, which came out in 1971. Written by Penelope Gilliatt and directed by John Sch- Schleisinger? Schleisinger? Schlesinger? Excuse my pronunciation. He was a gay Englishman. Well, he directed Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, he's actually in the celluloid closet talking about some of his stuff, which is really cool. Amazing. So, do you want to give a synopsis or shall I give a little? You, yours was better, so I think you're the synopsis queen. What ridiculousness is this? <laughs> but anyway, I'll take it. So, Sunday Bloody Sunday is the story of a love triangle, basically. So we've got Daniel... A middle-aged Jewish doctor who is gay. We've got Alex, um, a divorced woman in her mid-thirties. And they are both in love with Bob, uh, an artist in his mid-twenties. And they basically um, share him. So I think nowadays we're more like understanding of like we understand open relationships and polyamory and stuff. Obviously Bob has two partners. He's with a man and a woman. It's very fluid and he's very chill about it it's all fine but in the early 70s like bold that i don't think really people would have necessarily known what polyamory is or like you know to kind of be with multiple people and kind of not be monogamous and it not being like the biggest deal yeah they just have he just you know he doesn't really they i mean they make him look a bit of an asshole because he's like hanging out with Alex and you know they're having you know they're getting together and all that stuff and then he's like right well I'm off and then he goes and hangs out with Daniel yeah and gets with him and it's kind of like all very fluid I think you can tell that Alex is a bit more frustrated than Daniel is I think Daniel is very much like I'm an old gay man I'm gonna take what I can get kind of thing whereas Alex is like well actually I want a bit more yeah is that the vibe that you got as well that's the vibe yeah definitely definitely um I mean, Daniel, obviously, since he's in, like, his mid-50s or whatever, has dealt with this his whole life, probably, with, like, secrecy and sneaking around and not getting the full experience. Especially in the religious community as well. Yeah. Everyone's always like, let me set you up with this this lovely woman in the temple. And he's like, "Mm, no. Exactly. So I think that's just what he's used to anyway. Um, But then Alice... uh, Alice... (laughs) I'm still stuck on the previous film. Alex. <laughs> Alex is obviously... She was married, you know? She's used to something way different. Yeah. So it's kind of finding that balance between the two. Yeah. And, you know, she struggles with it, with sharing Bob in a way that I think is very fair. Yeah. It's not out of... And this is this is it too. There's nothing about him sleeping with a man. Not necessarily. It's that he's sleeping with someone else. Yeah, like having, yeah. Yeah, having to share him. That even though she knows about the arrangement. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that a part of her, like, had was holding out for hope that he would come around and, like, just be with her? Do you think that's kind of the vibe that's going on? Or do you, or do you think it's just kind of like she just wants him to be better? That's that's a really good question. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I feel not like sure either. She's she made her peace with it in the sense of she accepted it, but yeah. she's not satisfied with it. Yeah, but I get the sense that neither of them end up being satisfied. Like Daniel oh. and Alex, like they're just not. No, 
they want something that Bob can't give them. Which is interesting because Bob obviously went in being like, you know, these are my terms. And they both were okay with it. But then when it changes, they kind of think, well, actually, like, oh, is it fair that we're doing that kind of thing? Which is like such a modern, like, 21st century way of looking at it, which is why it's so fascinating that this was... Like, again, why did we not know about these films, like, in the mainstream sooner? Yes. Crazy, isn't it? This could have easily been a film made now about, like, this setting in the 70s. Yeah, 100%. Very mature way of talking about these things that are only just now becoming acceptable, like polyamory. I think this film is very modern in lots of ways. You know, like, how it... I mean, the nerd in me was like, oh, my God, look at these, like, old phone systems. Like, how you have to dial an operator and leave a message with someone and then you call them back and, like, there's, like, a third party listening in kind of thing. But that that's a very contemporary thing of it, like, of its time to use a phone that way. So the film is very, like, at the forefront of its time and it's very bohemian London in terms of the other films crazy london traffic that's not changed much you know we've got <laughs> we've got a busy bustling vibe of the city london is very fast moving and it's fast moving with its um society but also with its morals you know we're moving very quickly like yeah into accepting these kinds of relationships and it's casual sex and very true all these things uh, also when alex and daniel are driving in the car did you like what like what was being said on the radio in terms of they're talk- they're, the radio news presenters talking about an economic crisis mm-hmm. and mass unemployment and strikes. Now, isn't that interesting Hello. looking in this current climate? I, when that, honestly, when that came on, I was like, wait, it, it took me out of it for a second. I yeah. was like, are we in 2008? Wait, are we now? But no, we're in the 70s. Where to begin with the content in this film? My God. Um, Gay sex. Yeah. Men on man. Man on man. Man is on man. As in actually portrayed so intimately. Mm-hmm. And very lovey. Yeah. But it's actually there. It's more romantic than Bob and Alex. Like, yeah. Bob and Alex, it's very, like, sexual. It's very lustful. Whereas... The first time we see Bob and Alex, they're under the covers. It's so, like... They're literally under the covers. Yeah, it's so sensual, and it, like, teases the viewer, and, and there's music playing, and it's it's very romanticised. Whereas yeah. Bob and Alex, it's very much, like, done. Done. They're naked. Yeah. Great. But, like, it's so interesting how, like... I can't think of the word, but how delicately... Mm-hmm. It portrays the two men together as almost something sacred. Yeah. And it that's kind of nice that it kind of flips the... I think that... that the this, Yeah. This film does that really well in terms of flipping the narrative because you're seeing familiar and com- comforting scenes of London. Obviously, we both live in London. We recognise that kind of thing. But then it kind of flips the narrative on its head and it shows a lack of what society would say at the time a lack of morals but like kind of just a different way of telling a narrative yeah also that scene where the kid is smoking pot oh so funny and she, Alex just kind of looks up and goes are you smoking pot? <laughs> and they're like yeah and she's like okay you're like 10 but cool <laughs> yeah, like, and, the kid, the and the kid is like yeah are you like bourgeois? yeah <laughs> Well, what are you trying to do with that? So funny. It's so weird, and, isn't it? Yeah, like, Bobby's like, oh, just let her do it. It's fine. 
Yeah, but there's, like, little, there's like a literal child. This is this is on screen. Like, what are they trying to do enjoy? with that? Like those scenes with the kids. I don't know. It's very funny. It's so bizarre, but I can't quite put my finger on like no, the point. Me either. Maybe it was kind of like that. Maybe it was a comment on failure of domesticity in this kind of yeah triangular relationship situation they have going on. Yeah, that's interesting. It's because very out of the norm. Because Alex and Bob are babysitting parents. Like the kids of their... No. <laughs> They're babysitting the parents? No. <laughs> Bob and Alex are babysitting children of their friends. Yeah. So... It's it's yeah it's kind of interesting, yeah. But I just love the nostalgia vibes in this film as well. Like there's a scene where she like eats butterscotch tart. What is that? Oh my god, it's amazing. So it's like an it's like an old fashioned dessert. But I used to have it all the time at primary school. Like I went to quite an old fashioned primary school, and butterscotch tart was like quite a common English dessert. That's very cute. Um, and it's delicious and I want it right now. Speaking of which, I have crumble that I'm going to put in the oven immediately after this. Ember is such an adult. Well, I wanted to make Joyce a rhubarb crumble as like a, let me feed you, you've just finished your dissertation, well done. So kind. I'm such a feeder. Oh. But yeah, it's just kind of that like vibe with butterscotch tart and it just made me like, yes. I love that for you. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I just have written down Bob is a bit of a dick. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but he's very much like a guy in his mid-twenties thinking he can do anything in the world. I mean, he's going to America. That's like his whole dream. Yeah, he is so selfish, but it is because he's younger than the two of them and he just does his own thing and he's like, whatever, I'm going to go to America and yeah. probably have sex with loads of people and make art. He's very much a Schlesinger, I don't know how to pronounce his name, character. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah. it's like Midnight Cowboy a bit, you know? It's like that dream of going to New York and the reason I brought I it up earlier. It's like the American dream. It's, like, there's also like a gay character in it. But there's I like There's a lot that, of queerness in Midnight yeah. Cowboy. Yeah. I like that he kind of is doing that with his characters though because obviously yeah. he's looking at the American dream like he's a filmmaker, like a gay filmmaker and he's like, yeah. Yeah. The promised land. The promised land. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to talk about several really bizarre scenes. Go. When the dog gets run over, the family oh. dog gets run over by the car. Like, the girl nearly gets run over, but the dog gets run over. And they just kind of don't really address it. No. They're just... The, the, when the parents come back, they're like, oh, it's fine, we'll just buy a new dog. Yeah, they're like... He's, she's like, oh, I'm really sorry. And they're like, it's true. Yeah. Imagine that. It's really strange, but then, like, when the dog gets hit and you just see the dead dog on the road, um, Alex starts shouting at the girl, being like, you stupid girl, what were you thinking? It's like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then she's like, okay, it's fine. The oldest daughter is obviously really disturbed, but then Alex gets really disturbed as well, but then they just kind of pretend nothing happened. Yeah. Why? That's weird. It is weird. And I tried to look up if there's, like, a metaphor there, but I couldn't find anything. But it is just kind of weird, like, how they're just kind of like, okay, the dog's dead, we're just going to leave it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to say something smart to I seem think, like... If anything, they do talk a lot about, like, the post-World War Two trauma. So I don't know if it's just kind of being like, England has a really messed up reaction to death now because of the trauma of war. 
I mean, she gets those nightmares after that, thinking of, like, yeah. gas masks and soldiers and her dad not having a mask. Yeah. Um, and she... There is definitely the connection. And she has a weird relationship with her parents anyway, because her mum is obviously really disapproving of... Her mum yeah. has a very small role, but the, they throw a scene in there where she's very disapproving of the divorce and when are we going to meet this man that you're seeing? What's going on? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Is he a hippie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of like, obviously they're like the wartime generation who had to kind of make ends meet during that time. And it just kind of like shows that generational trauma in a way through... Because that was the thing, that was what they were saying is that like the kind of reaction in the war kind of triggered the sexual revolution in a way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just interesting to consider maybe, like, are, are they trying to say that her trauma caused that? The dog? No, like, in terms of her, like... Relationship. Yeah, her, like, premarital sex and... And being in this sexual fluidity. Yeah, exactly. Situation. It's just interesting. Yeah. They're trying to, like, point it out and be like, this is what people think. I don't know. I'm speculating. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting um, if you think about it being released in, what was it, 71? Yeah. Um, there's multiple layers of queerness going on in the film. You've got this bisexual, or pansexual yeah. character. You've got, like, a gay character. You've got a polyamorous relationship. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, different types of queerness, which is also very interesting. I also think in terms of Bob, he we said this kind of touched on this a bit before but he's so much nicer to Daniel than he is to Alex he's kind of mean to Alex he's just Mm -hmm. kind of like well whatever mate but then to Daniel like he asks him for advice and he kind of looks up to him and respects him and that's interesting I don't know if that's just misogyny or like I was just gonna say I think that's just misogyny (laughs) yeah honestly that that's you know, and she's kind of like that the nagging wife character. Yeah, she's like, when are you going to come see me? When are you going to do this? And yeah. he's like, for God's sake, like, exactly. I'm not a ball and chain. But with Daniel, he's like, so what do you think about whether or not I should go to America? Like, he's a lot... He's very open with Daniel. Mm-hmm. But then I think maybe Daniel is quite a lot more relaxed about things. Well, Daniel has the whole Italy thing, though. Yeah, yeah. Daniel really wants true. to go to Italy with Bob. Yeah. And then Bob kind of promises it. And then doesn't go through with it. That's true, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just goes to America, the promised land. The promised land. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of the end of the film, Daniel and Alex finally meet for the first time. They've not been on screen this whole time together, have they? Yeah. And then they meet yeah. in the driveway of yeah. their friend's mutual friend's house. Yeah. And they have a little conversation about Bob. What do you think about the ending of the film? Like, in terms of all of that. So, basically, for listeners... Bob goes to America and Daniel and Alex both end it with Bob. Yeah. And they just kind of have to move on. Yeah. And I think it was actually really good. I think it's good that we see that development from them being in a very broken place and then in this relationship and then kind of, you know, letting go of that young, like that attachment to the youth that they have with Bob. Yeah, it's it's not overly dramatised either is it they're just kind of like okay well we're all adults let's just move on exactly and that's kind of good representation in a way yeah I definitely think so it's kind of bittersweet isn't it because they're both moving on but yet you can tell that they're both like right well I'm lonely again yeah I've got no one 
come home to. And that scene with Daniel at the end, kind of doing a little speech to the camera as it slowly moves in, like that's that's the only time where you're like, oh man, like that's kind of deep. Yeah, wait. Um, I thought I wrote down what he said at the end. Yeah, I don't think I did. Maybe on my phone. Do you? Did you write it down? So the final line is, "I only came in about my cough," um, off, which is often a punchline to a joke about a man going to the doctor and getting unexpected news. And they kind of do that a bit before, where he's assessing one of his patients who's like panicking. He's got like an, a quite a serious illness or whatever. So it kind of harks back to that where he's like, oh, don't worry, like, it's fine, we'll just run some tests. But then he's kind of saying he's got unexpected news. It's kind of, I don't know what you think about it, but it's kind of like he didn't expect to fall in love yeah. and be so invested in this kind of situationship with, with Bob. Mm-hmm. I actually really like the ending. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it, it's good. Yeah. I think it, it kind of leaves things open, doesn't it, in terms of, yeah... Yeah, that kind of. But I, f- I feel like vibe. M- me- them meeting each other kind of also gives us the reassurance that everything will be okay. Yeah. So that why it does that? But that's the thing. It's just it, nothing's over the top. No one dies. No one ends up with someone they shouldn't. No one goes to prison. Like it's very much like here you go. That was a little. You take it from here. A week in the life, and now it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Actually. I like that. Yeah. Well, out of the three films, what do you think your favourite is? Victim. Do you think it's still Victim? Yeah. Because I'm kind of torn between Victim and Sunday Bloody Sunday. In t- like, but I think I prefer them for different reasons. Uh, they're very different, for yeah. sure. I think Victim is an all-around really well-made film. Yeah. Like, not just about the content. Like, I think it's actually just a really good film. I agree. But I think in terms of looking to the future, I think Sunday Bloody, Sun- Bloody Sunday is a really good look at what is to come for Quip audiences yes and it's not overly negative and it's definitely more timeless yeah i mean um victim is very much of its time and like it shows the context very well yeah but sunday bloody sunday still has a lot of things that are still you know relevant a hundred percent so yeah and the killing of sister george is just that's actually my favorite (laughs) (laughs) um Uh, i really like the part where she was terrifying they're my favorite lesbian couple (laughs) i ship them what would their ship name be jealous (laughs) oh jealous jealous (laughs) screaming screaming crying throwing up which wow. is what Alice was doing during the whole film. Screaming, Honestly. crying, and throwing up. <laughs> what a lesbian She vibe. did actually throw up. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, this I do. so accurate. Oh my god. Wow. I'm dying. Well, to round off this wee episode... Um, <laughs> you wee lesbian. Um, <laughs> Joyce, um, let's continue the discussion on positive representation for queer characters... Tell me your favourite highlight for this month on screen that everyone needs to see. Guys, I am so excited about this show that came out on Amazon Prime, (laughs) A League of Their Own. You might already know about it. I know you would know about it, Amber, but she hasn't seen it yet. Um, Classic. It's just a classic. But it's okay, we're going to watch the first episode in like 15 minutes. Oh, hell yeah. Are you excited? I'm so excited, mate. I love this show. I love the (laughs) representation in it. There's so much queerness going on and like in so many ways. Yeah. It's incredible. There's genderqueer people. There's sexuality, queerness. Oh, I love it. All of it. It's fantastic. So I want to nominate an actually a real person. 
Um, but I want to nominate the actress that plays Carson Shaw, which is the protagonist mm-hmm. of A League of Their Own, because she's actually queer in real life, Amazing. has a fiancé that's a woman. <gasps> yes! I love it when gay people play gay characters. Oh, the flavor! It's incredible. I'm so excited about this show. Like, it's so forward, and there's the, so many gay writers on the team. Oh, we love. It's, it's, it's made by gays for gays. Oh, yes! Yeah. Yes! 2022! Woo! Here we come! Honestly. Oh, amazing. I'm so... Like, everyone that listen, is listening right now, watch it. Oh, so watch good. It. Watch Excellent it. recommendation. Shout out to A League of Their Own. Yes. So the actress is called Abby Jacobson, and I'm nominating her. Okay. Thank for you. Queer. Perfect. Yes. Amazing. Queer of the week. Queer of the week. <laughs> queer of the month. <laughs> queer of the month. <laughs> You did what I always do. Oh. <laughs> yeah. True. This week. <laughs> I'm trying to lean out, like adapt to you. Bless you. My nomination this month is um, for a show called Dear White People, which is on Netflix. Uh, have you seen? No. Excellent. Would really recommend it. I've got really into it. It came out a few years ago, but I'm absolutely binge watching the hell out of it. I love it. And I'm going to nominate a character called Lionel. Um, he is fantastic. Um, he is a fun, flirty, gay journalist. He works on the student paper. Um, he really comes into his own in the second series. He's like really embracing his sexuality. He, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a lot of issues tackled in Dear White People in terms of the black experience um, and growing up and being black at university in America, but also... Um, being black and gay um, Lionel's character really really um, is an incredible example of representation Um, and he's funny and he's fun and uh, the film also has other characters as well but Lionel is kind of a more central character so I'm going with him this month would 100% recommend Dear White People on Netflix fantastic series okay (laughs) on that note Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of Gay Actually as part of the film. No. <laughs> as part of the film. As part of the UK Film Review Podcast. Um, if you like this episode, be sure to share it and tweet it. Um, you can tweet us at UKF Review on Twitter. Um, we also have a website if you want to check out more information and how to get involved and collaborate with us as a magazine. Thank you very much, Joyce. My absolute pleasure once again. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.